Open your Bibles to, to John chapter 14. You know this text that we're going to be in this morning. It's often preached at funerals and things like that. And, and uh, so I appreciate Brad stepping in for me last week as I was a little under the weather and, and you're all, ugh. Um, and it actually, God's perfect. Uh, can, we, can we admit that today? Um, so I know that I'm preaching this text today, and I had a encounter, uh, several encounters this week. Um, sometimes being a pastor, you don't know what every day is going to look like, and so every day of my last week was just crazy. And, um, and so I found myself having a conversation with a fella, and uh, and I was, I was talking to him about where he goes to church and this kind of deal. And, and so we got talking about football because we're in the south and that's, that's the road that everybody feels comfortable on, right? And so we're talking and he was, he was talking about the national championship game. And he's like, oh, but I guess if I got to lose to anybody, I'd like it to be Dabo Sweeney. And, uh, and I told him, I said, I really like Dabo. And I do. I, I, am, I, I am a Dabo Sweeney fan. I think the guy is a great believer in Jesus Christ. Um, and I esteem him as that higher than any coaching ability that he may have. And so I'm, we're talking about it. He goes, well, you know, I just don't like how jesus he is. And I, I said, well, what? I, said, I said, explain what you're talking about. And he said, well, I just like a coach that gets out there and coaches and and he don't, he don't have to talk about Jesus on the camera. And I asked him, I said, sir, do you, do you know Jesus as your Savior? He said, yeah, I do. But I just don't like that he's that open about it. And I'm standing there, and, and a lot of times I've gotten to where I can train my tongue, but I can't train my face. And I know I'm looking at him just in the most awful way. And I tell him, well, Dabo's a believer every day of the week. And it comes out in every conversation he has. And then I asked him, I said, isn't that what Jesus commanded us to be about? And so it got me thinking in light of this sermon, how much of the world has infiltrated what we truly believe? We have come to a place where we're part-time Christian at best. We'll get spiritual on, on Sunday, but, but then Monday comes. We'll follow Jesus well when we're around church folk, but a lot of the other times we often remain silent. And yet Jesus has never called us to be silent. In fact, when the, when the Pharisees and the Sadducees got on to the disciples because they were walking through the field gathering grain on the, the Sabbath and they were worshiping God the Creator, the, the Pharisees told Jesus, hey, if you don't get that bunch of rednecks to hush, it, it's going to be ugly. And, and it's paraphrase, this is Jeff version. And, and Jesus looked at them Pharisees and he told them, well, if them boys right there go quiet, these rocks are going to start crying out to the glory of who God is. God's never called the believer to be silent when it comes to his faith. But our worldview has now sold a different narrative. John 14, starting in verse 1, you know this text. Jesus is talking there, and he, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. He says, You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If your version says mansion, don't get upset about that. I don't care if it's a room or a mansion or a house. I just want to be there, okay? I don't, I don't care how big the place is. I don't, I don't need 40 acres in a farm. I, I just want to be where Jesus is, okay? So don't let that 
hurt your feelings there. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. Isn't it good news today that Jesus is coming back? If I go, I will come back. I'll come myself to where I may, that where I am, you may be also. And you may know where I am. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him, and you have seen him. Father, we pray over your word today. Lord, we pray that it would find a place in our heart where it would take root and grow. Lord, we are desperate for you. Lord, we pray that you would change our hearts, that you would take these, these stone hearts and you would soften them and you would tender them for the usefulness of your kingdom. Bless us, Father, as we dive through your word. Your word. It's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. In our era of open-mindedness, we have promoted a life of godlessness and sin. In our era of, of, of trying to, to be, and, and listen, I, I meet so many people who, who, who we, we get into conversations and they'll, they'll say, well, I, you know, I, I believe in Jesus, but I'm, I don't know that, that, that those people who worship Buddha, I don't know that they're not going to. I believe in Jesus, but you know, I may, I, I may not have all the answers, and maybe somebody, maybe, maybe everybody's going. If you're good, and if you're having the right attitude, and if you're charitable, and if you like people, and and if you give, and if you're gracious, and just if at the end of the day, if your life is somehow weighted on the scales, and you've been a good person, then you can go to heaven. The only problem with that is Jesus never said that. The only problem is Jesus said something completely counterintuitive to that. Everybody has their ideology and everybody has philosophy of religion. But if it's not grounded in the Bible, my friend, it's wrong. And we don't say that abrasively. We don't say that aggressively. But we say that truthfully. And lovingly. When people tell us it doesn't matter what you believe, that, that's a scary thought. I want to give you three reasons of why I believe our world promotes this theology. The first one is if we can minimize the one true Jehovah God, we can maximize our enjoyment of sin and authority. If we can minimize who God is, we can minimize Jehovah Jireh, we can minimize Jehovah Nisau God. If we can take Elohim out of the picture, we can put him on a Sunday morning. We can pencil him in when we pray before dinner. If we can do that, then we get to do everything we want to do. We get to be our own God. We, we get to enjoy the sin. We get to look just like the world. Oh, the world has lights and glimmer. Oh, the world will tell you how great you are. Oh, the world will tell you, hey, if you will drink this, you'll be better. If you were next Sunday, you're in for a treat. 
We have one of my dearest friends in this walk of life is going to be here. He's preaching uh, next Sunday morning. I'll be here as well. Um, but he's coming, and he's, he's going to tell you about a, a, a ministry he's doing in Colorado. You've heard me talk about this guy several times, maybe not by name, but in story. And he's coming. He's going to be bringing the work. It's going to be a great time. One of the things they're dealing with in Colorado, you know, they have legalized the smoking of marijuana. And the reality of it is, just because something is legal doesn't mean the people of God should be doing it. Just because something is legal in the government's eyes doesn't mean it's biblical. And so just because we, we can do these things doesn't mean we should. It doesn't mean we should. But we want to minimize God. We, we, we don't want to feel like we're under the authority. We believe in an era of freedom. We don't want any restraints. We don't want anybody putting parameters around us. And so we think, boy, if we can just get God on Sunday, if we can just get God on Sunday, we, we can do whatever on Friday and Saturday. If we can just minimize who God is, think of all the fun we can have. Now, people may never utter those words, but how they choose to interact with God promotes that truth. I asked our, our we have a, a Sunday night and a Wednesday night service, or we are kind of transitioning to Sunday night now, but we have a Wednesday night service, and it's, it's pretty good in spite of the poor preaching. And I asked that Wednesday night, because those, those are my core group. If you're in that that crowd you're part of my core ministry team here and I asked them on, on a almost weekly at least bi-weekly basis does being a believer affect how you live if you weren't a believer would you have lived today the same way that you lived as a pagan what was different today because you walked with Jesus than as if you didn't because if your day isn't impacted by the gospel then is your heart impacted by the gospel? If we minimize God, then we have to ask ourselves. If we struggle with God's authority, then we have to ask ourselves, is, is the Lord really God of our life? If we have struggle following him because we love sin, Jesus tells us you can't serve two masters. You either love one and hate the other, and, and he's talking about the world. You can't love the world and the things in it and still hold hands with Jesus. He says it's impossible, it can't happen because you'll begin to love one and you will begin to hate the other. But also, we, we tell this lie because we don't want anybody to feel left out. Political correctness is handicapping the church because we believe it. We believe it. Oh, you can't say that Jesus is the only way because somebody might get offended. I would rather them get offended and start thinking about the one true God and them accept him and live eternally with him than me hold my lips quiet and watch people journey to a devil's hell. I affirm there is a place. There is a place where people will spend eternally separated from God. You say, but isn't that fire in that the worst part? No. That fire is going to burn and it's going to hurt real bad. But the worst part is that you have no connection with God. Even now as a pagan, if you're lost, you're still under the very grace of God. But there's coming a day for all those who reject the Father that you will be alienated from the Spirit and you'll be all alone. We don't want anybody to feel left out. So when people come up with different views, we'll go, well, that's interesting. Instead of calling it what it is and going, you know, that's not what the Bible says. Instead of saying, 
You know, that, I've heard that, but, but let me tell you about the true God. Because let me tell you, if, if we could put all of the foreign gods in one museum, and, and we could go to that museum, we could walk around, and we could see, we could see all Buddha, and we could see Muhammad, and, and we could see all these things, my friend. But, but when you get to the place where, where they're talking about Jesus, he ain't going to be there. Because, listen, Muhammad's dead. He's gone. He's gone. He's dead. He lived. He died. He's still dead. All the emperors that were in China that they worship, they're dead. You can go and see where they buried their bodies. They're dead. The, the emperors of Egypt, you can go and you can look at those big pyramids and, and they'll tell you, hey, they're buried right there. There ain't no story of them folks ever getting up from the dead. But when you go to the place where they're going to talk about Jesus, my friend, you're just going to look into that empty tomb, and it's still empty. Because he ain't there. He's alive and well. We shouldn't worry about tr people feeling left out, but instead we should try everything we have to get them in. Don't leave them out. We'll hear people's philosophy on religion, and we'll go, well, we agree to disagree. No. We have truth, and we stand on it. And the third reason we sell this lie is probably the most scary one, and it's because we don't know the truth. The average believer, the, well, the average Christian churchgoer in America doesn't read the Bible. Doesn't read the Bible. You can't do the work of God without knowing the Word of God. I may not say anything else better than that the rest of the morning. You better write that down. You can't do the work of God without knowing the Word of God. As we begin to hear truth, we have to know and recognize what it is. As we hear about the graciousness of Jesus, we must be willing to impress upon people. We must be willing to evangelize. Jesus never called you to get saved and seal your lips. He called you to get saved and then to spend your life giving away the greatest gift you've been giving. We don't hold it quiet. There's implications of John 14, 1 through 7. Implications that are great and they're heavy. The first one is if Jesus is exclusively the way, then every other way will lead to destruction. Jesus tells his disciples, I am the way. If Jesus is the way, Jesus didn't say, I am one of the ways. He didn't say, you could use this. He didn't, listen, if you're going to go to Trustful today, after church, you're going to run over to the Cracker Barrel and get some lunch. If you go to Trustful today, there's 13 different road combinations you can get on to get over there. And neither one of them fast, but you can get 13 different ones. Jesus didn't say, I'm a route. He didn't say, hey, you can use me. He said, I am. I'm the only one. That word way in, in the Greek, that, that non-word that, that is used there, that that word, I am it. I am exclusively the way. There's no other way. There's no way around it. You don't sneak in the backside. He says, I am the way in which you have to come by to get saved. I'm it. There's no plan B. God didn't say, well, we're just going to kind of throw it out there and kind of kind of hope we can buckshot it and folks get in. That ain't what he said. He said, there's one way, and it's through the bloodline of Jesus that you can be saved. Every other road will lead you to destruction. And you say, well, that's not very nice. I know. I know. 
But Jesus wasn't trying to tiptoe around your feelings. He was showing you the eternal weight of his glory. And he said, I'm the way. I'm the way God has come to, to bridge the gulf between humanity and glory. It's only by Jesus that we can be saved. If Jesus is truth, then every other narrative is a lie. Every other narrative is a lie. So in this day of, of all exclusivism, that, that we're just supposed to hear people and agree, and, a, and we're not supposed to really rock the boat and all of these things, Jesus never said, uh, I, I'm, 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 the, I'm the way and the truth, but, but it's okay if you don't really hate. No. No, he, he never backed down from this word. He always said, I, he is the truth. He's the truth. He's the one we can put our hope in. I may lie to you. Your best friends may lie to you. Your Savior has never lied to you. And so when Jesus said, is that if I go to prepare a place for you, I will surely come back and get you, that wasn't a lie. Everything Jesus said in the New Testament, Jesus did. In fact, the return of Christ is all we're waiting on. And he's been faithful to this point. I'm going to put my money, my hope, and my trust, and my life on the line saying he'll be faithful in that one as well. Jesus is the way, the truth, but also he's the life. Jesus is the life, and every other religion will lead you to death. Jesus is alive, and he's not talking about life now. He's not talking about the fact that you're breathing, although we could argue Jesus is the sustainer of life, but, but he's talking eternal. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm, I'm the life that you're going to want in the end when this world's over. I'm what's going to keep you through. When you depart from this world, you will encounter me. He tells them, I'm going to prepare that place. I'm coming back, and you're going to be with me forever. And, and now we give old Thomas a hard time in the Bible, don't we? Oh, doubting Thomas. He doubted the re resurrection of Jesus, and we give him a hard time, although we probably would have too. And, and so, but here's Thomas, and Thomas it, it shouldn't be classified as a doubter. The dude loved Jesus. And so he asked this important question. He said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. We don't know where you're going. And if we don't know where you're going, Lord, how are we going to get there? These are great questions. These are great questions. And Jesus says, he's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He goes on, he says, if you had known me, you would have known the Father also. And he gives him this, this nugget, this beautiful piece of scripture here. He says, from now on you know him. God of the universe who spoke creation into existence. The father of Abraham, the father of Moses, the father of Isaac, of Jacob, of Joshua. The father of all of the believers who have ever lived on this planet has come. And he says, now you can know him. You can know him. And I'm not talking about no information about him. I'm not talking about some some intellectual argument that you can now compose because you've heard this. God is after a relationship with you. Not on some formal level. He, he's not your pen pal. He wants to know you. He, he wants to be closer than a brother. He wants to be your best friend, as we, we learned last week. He, he wants to be intimately involved in you. Jesus tells him, you know me, so now you know the Father. 
you've seen me, now you've seen the Father. If Jesus is the way, every other way will lead to destruction. But I always get to this point in, the, in this conversation with people and, and they ask a very simple question. They say, but how can we know for sure? Man, there's so many religions out there. There's so many different people and we're all shouting, we're right, we're correct, everybody else is wrong, but how can we know? How can we know that Jesus is who he said he is? Because if you're going to put your life, your trust, your salvation into someone, they better be right. They better be correct. Eternity is too weighty of a subject to be wrong. So how can we know that that Jesus is who he proclaimed to be? The first way we know that is by his testimony. It's by his testimony in John 4, 25 and 26. He's talking to the woman at the well and the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he'll tell us all these things. And Jesus said to her, I who you speak to, am he. Jesus identified as the Christ. He identified as the Lord. Jesus has, has identified as the Son of Man. He's identified as, as the chosen one that God has sent forth to be the propitiation for sin. He's identified as all of this. And listen, you can self-identify all you want to, but Jesus was the only one with the authority to mean what he was saying when he said he's the Messiah. Not also do we hear his testimony, but we hear the testimony from others. Well, we could have done the whole sermon just on the testimony of what others said about Jesus. Um, in, in, in John's gospel, in the same book, we find ourselves in John 20, 31. John said, but these things are written. He's talking about the gospels. He said, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. And how? It says in His name. We have life. And we don't have life because we bought life insurance. We have life because the Son of God came and He lived. And now in His death, our sins died. And and when He came back to life, we arose and we now live victorious, not by our power, not by our ability, but in the name of Jesus. And thirdly, and greatest of all, the resurrection. How can we know Jesus is who he said he was? Now listen, he proclaimed to be a lot. He proclaimed to be the Son of God. And had he not got up, it would have been a lie. It didn't matter that he he brought Lazarus from the dead. It didn't matter that he healed the centurion's daughter. It didn't matter that he multiplied the bread and the fish. It didn't matter. If Jesus had not got up from the dead, we would not be here today. But he did. He did. Listen, you may be like, well, that book you're reading, I just don't know. I just don't know. There's more evidence about Jesus of Nazareth being born than of Mozart. Nobody questions Mozart's ability and, and life. We know that he lived. There's more written extra biblical evidence of Jesus from Nazareth 
than anyone else in the world. We know there was a man named Jesus who was born in Bethlehem. We know it. We know of the uproar in Rome that he caused because he was seeking first the kingdom of God. The story of his resurrection is now 2,000 years old and we're still telling it because we believe it to be true. Not on my testimony, I didn't see it. My granddaddy didn't see it. But we read the Bible and we see 12 men who are average Joes who worked their fingers to the bone every day and they laid down everything they had and followed Jesus. And when they saw the resurrection, when they saw the resurrection, they were willing to die for the purpose. You don't die for things you don't put your hope and trust in. You don't die for things you think could be false. These men were willing and able to lay down their life because they saw the resurrected Savior. And like my conversation with the fellow about Dabo Sweeney, when you've encountered Jesus, it changes your every day. You don't haphazardly walk through life occasionally interacting with God or tipping God. You walk through God through life submitted to God. Luke chapter 24, the gospel writer says, but, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking spices that they had prepared. And they found that stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they did, they, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why they didn't find that body? Because it wasn't there. They were perplexed as we would have been. Behold, two men stood beside them in dazzling apparel. And they were frightened and they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how you were told while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man would be delivered into the hands of sinful men and would be crucified and on the third day would rise. And they remembered these words. And returning from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna the, and Mary, the mother of of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them as an idle tale. They did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stopping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what happened. They went to put spices on the body of Jesus who was supposed to be dead. And they looked in. The Roman guards are still shaking on the ground outside. And they look in and there at the place where the broken body of Jesus Christ was laid, there was just cloth. There was just cloth. In the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead, my friend. And if Jesus 
rose from the dead. It validated every sentence he uttered. Jesus rising from the dead put the final exclamation point on it is finished, the very words that he uttered from the cross. And if Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then he's certainly able to say and declare that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So the question we must wrestle with this morning is do we know him? Do we know him? I'm not asking you, have you had an encounter with a spiritual moment? I'm not asking you, have you walked down an aisle and uttered some words? I'm not asking you, have you been baptized? I'm not asking you, have you been to revival? I'm not asking you, did you go to VBS as a child? I'm asking you, is your soul held by the King of glory? I'm asking you, is your life consecrated to the Lord? You know in your soul, I am a hundred percent sold out to Jesus. Because most of us have bought into this part-time relationship where we give Jesus our time on Sunday, but we don't encounter him the rest of the week. And I would argue, I don't even know that you can be saved and have that type of apathy towards the Lord. Listen, the people who got saved, and we read about in the Bible, I mean, their lives were messed up from then on. Everything about them changed. I'm not asking you to, to sell out and go to India and be a missionary, although if God calls you, go. But is your life transformed in the gospel? Is there evidence in your life that you've been redeemed by Jesus? If not, let today be your day of salvation. Let me pray. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Lord, that you would do work here today. That you would have the freedom to go up and down every aisle, up and down every seat, and God, that you would work in a mighty way. Lord, we beg that you would draw some to salvation today. Lord, you know who's here. You know the crowd because you've ordained it. You're all-powerful. You're able. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you would have your will and way through our invitation. It's in the name of Christ we pray. We're going to do it a little different this morning. We just want you to